0: Today, I'm preaching from 1 Samuel chapter 23. Begin at verse 3 and read to the end of the chapter, excuse me, to uh, verse 25, excuse me. This is God's word. in the right chapter. (laughs) Something wasn't looking quite right. Chapter 28, there we go. 1 Samuel 28, beginning with verse 3. Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had lamented for him and buried him in Ramah, in his own city, and Saul had put the mediums and the spiritists out of the land. Then the Philistines gathered together and came and encamped at Shunem. So Saul gathered all Israel together and they camped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Find me a woman who is a medium that I may go to her and inquire of her. And the servant said to him, In fact, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself and put on other clothes, and he went and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night, and he said, Please conduct a seance for me, and bring up for me the one I shall name to you. And the woman said to him, look, you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the spiritists from the land. Why then do you lay a snare for my life to cause me to die? And Saul swore to her by the Lord, saying, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman spoke to Saul, saying, Why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. The king said to her, Do not be afraid. What did you see? The woman said to Saul, I saw a spirit ascending out of the earth. So he said to her, What is his form? And she said, An old man is coming up, but he is covered with a mantle. Saul perceived that it was Samuel and he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed down. Now Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? So Saul answered, I am deeply distressed for the Philistines make war against me and God has departed from me and does not answer me any anymore, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore, I have called you that you may reveal to me what I should do. Then Samuel said, So why do you ask me, seeing the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy? And the Lord has done for himself as he spoke by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord, nor execute his fierce wrath upon Amalek, Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with you into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also deliver the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. Immediately, Saul fell full length on the ground and was dreadfully afraid because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him for he had eaten no food all day or all night. And The woman came to Saul and saw that he was severely troubled and said to him, look, your your maidservant has obeyed your voice and I put my life in my hands and heeded the words which you spoke to me. Now therefore, please heed also the voice of your maidservant and let me set a piece of bread before you And eat, that you may have strength when you go on your way. But he refused and said, I will not eat. So his servants, together with the woman, urged him, and he heeded their voice. Then he rose from the ground and sat on the bed. Now the woman had a a fatted calf in the house, and she hastened to kill it. And she took flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened bread from it. So she brought it before Saul and his servants, and they ate. And they arose and went away that night. This passage speaks of mediums and spiritists. These words are referring to persons who practice magic. They especially practice magic for the purpose of trying to talk to the dead. That's a, that's a special uh, emphasis of a medium and we see that being played out here. And the, uh, the event of trying to call up the dead is called a seance. These are words that we don't use a whole lot in, in our common everyday language. And so I want to use the word witch to describe this medium, because that's a word that is very well understood by us. And I use that word. It's uh, translated that way in some places in the Bible. I use it directly. And I want to underline that this is not a novel like the Chronicles of Narnia, where there was a white witch. Neither is it like a novel of the Harry Potter styles, where magic is used. In those novels, magic or something of a device to tell a story. But I want to underline the fact that we believe in spiritual beings. and We take it serious when the Bible talks about those who try to contact spiritual beings and those who try to speak to the dead, because the Bible forbids it. Bible forbids it and any practice of magic and witchcraft so as you hear this message today as Saul calls upon the witch trying to find counsel that this is not a fiction this is a real story by way of introduction when Saul or when this passage begins it tells us that uh, reminds us that Samuel was dead That after this, that Saul had expelled all of the mediums and the spiritists, all of those practicing witchcraft, out of the land. When he did this, he was doing something good, because it was something God had commanded to do. And we have followed Saul's career and found that Saul started off uh, looking like he was going to follow after the Lord, but that he gradually fell away from that. There was a a turning away more and more from the Lord and from his his word in favor of his own interests, in favor of following his own desires. So in chapter 15 of 1 Samuel, we read that Saul had rejected God's command, a command about destroying Amalek. There are several details where it's very clear that Saul was not paying attention to what God had commanded He took sacrifices into his own hands and then he refused God's command and spared animals and spared the life of the king of Amalek. And God's response to this is very telling. He says this, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed is better than the fat of rams for rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft. That was God's rebuke to Saul in chapter 15, and it foreshadows what comes out in this passage today, because Saul now descends to the point of actual witchcraft. He consulted the witch of Endor, and sadly, this uncovers Saul's utter lack of faith for when God discipline fell on his shoulders. Saul looks everywhere else for answers. Because of that, I want to lay before you from this passage today, the call to repent and the Lord will forgive you. But to be warned that if you do nothing, you will be lost forever. Let's start off by asking and answering the question, why did Saul seek out a witch? The text goes on to tell what the setting was. The Philistines were invading. They had gathered together their forces and it was an overwhelming force. The King of Gath had marshaled all of their forces, tells where they went to the battlefield and Saul does assemble the armies of Israel to fight against him. But when he looks out on the opposing army that's coming, It says he was terrified that his heart trembled greatly. And then in desperation, it says that Saul inquired of the Lord. That's a special phrase that has been used before. It is what the kings of Israel were supposed to do. They were to go to God and to cry out to him for direction. But we have as I've said, have been following Saul throughout his career, and he had stubbornly refused to do this before. He didn't cry out to God when the Philistines were coming in chapter 15, and he was commanded to wait for sacrifices. No, he jumped ahead of God and acted as he chose. He didn't cry out to God when uh, when he made decisions about what to do with the animals and the king of Amalek. He didn't cry out to God when he pressed a rash vow on the soldiers of Israel. He didn't cry out to God when he became enraged at the priests of Nob and determined to slaughter them completely. He didn't consult God when he became uh, irritated at David and sought to kill him didn't cry out to God and inquire of him when he, when David spared his life once and twice again. Over and over again, Saul had no time for God. He had no interest in what God had to say. Rather than worshiping and serving the Lord, he tried to use God for his own purposes. So now when the United Forces of the Philistines were marshaled against him, he does that same thing again. He was afraid and he tried everything that he could think of to call upon the Lord. The text suggests that that he tried asking God through the prophets, uh, through the priests and their use of the Urim and Thummim. Those were ways that God had designed for counsel to be sought. And he saw it through dreams. But as we learned in chapter 15, the Lord had rejected Saul, so God did not answer him. I'm reminded here of a New Testament passage that, that instructs us here. In Hebrews chapter 6, there's a sobering warning that's given. You can read there this afternoon about those who are surrounded by the normal means of grace, who are part of the visible church, but who are not believing. Even though they may be surrounded by the word of God, even though, as Hebrews suggests, they they tasted the word of God and the powers of the age to come, they have even been partakers of the Holy Spirit, it says, And yet having tasted, they have never trusted. So when they fall, says Hebrews 6, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. Later, Hebrews gives the example of Esau. Esau, who had rejected God's promises But then wanted to inherit all the benefits, all of the good things, but was rejected. And even though he cried with tears and he sought God diligently, he found no place for repentance. And was rejected by God. Now look back at Saul. Saul sought God's guidance, but not out of submission to the Lord. Not out of a desire that God would be glorified like we saw in Psalm 57. Not out of a humility that cries up uh, up to God out of repentance, asking the Lord to forgive and to deliver. No, he's overcome by fear and he casts about for things to save himself. He's looking for anything that he can use to leverage to his own advantage. It's as if he said, I've tried everything else, so I'll try God. And I'll try anything to get in touch with God. But his approach to God, one commentator says, was so unworthy that the other telling of this in First Chronicles actually says that he did not inquire of God at all. His appeal was so unworthy. And the desperate circumstance continues when God did not answer him. And so, Saul commands his men to find a witch. And that is very telling, isn't it? A witch is one who uses... Power of Satan to do her work. And I put that very plainly. Which uses the power of Satan to do her work. And this is where Saul turned, as if a servant of Satan would be just as good as good of a messenger as appealing to Almighty God. servant of Satan was where he turns whatever gets the job done and so Saul goes against the very command of God that he had followed through to expel the witches to expel all those who were practicing practicing magic the lord had forbidden israel to consult them and to to press them out of the promised land in fact if you're unsure about the gravity of the situation, go back and read Deuteronomy 18. Because there God warns the children of Israel about such practices. And he calls them detestable and an abomination to him. Those aren't words that the Bible uses lightly. These were the sins for which God was bringing judgment upon the nations that were in the promised land. They were followers of Satan, they were practicing the arts of Satan, they were calling upon the dead, they were following after God's enemy, and here Saul is seeking out a witch. Which leads us to the seance, a word that is describing when someone tries to contact the dead. Saul disguised himself. He went to the witch. After convincing her it wasn't a trap, she knew what the penalty was. The witch asked, to whom shall I call up for you? To which Saul requests Samuel. Really another telling request. Saul couldn't speak with God and so he looks to someone else to be a mediator for him. He looks to Samuel. But That's bad theology in the first place, but uh, Saul had no time for Samuel either in his life. The time for asking Samuel was while Samuel was alive. Saul would not do that. What happens next is, is extraordinary because Samuel appears. And this is so extraordinary that there is something of a debate about what is happening here. The question is: Was this really Samuel? There are good men that have suggested that this wasn't Samuel at all. This was an evil spirit under the guise of Samuel. Or they suggest that it was just a parlor trick, like uh, like we might suspect today. You go to you go to a, a séance and. Someone uh, unknown is shaking the table and flashing lights and speaking for the dead. But there are several things that convince me otherwise and that this really was Samuel. The first thing is that the witch herself was surprised. This was no parlor trick because something actually happened. And the surprise Comes to her that she describes something that she did not expect. She describes what she sees to Saul and Saul identifies it as Samuel himself. What he looked like, his bearing, his mantle of authority. And then somehow the witch recognizes Saul as well. And then the words that Samuel speaks to Saul convince us that the conclusion of the matter is that this wasn't a trick and it wasn't an evil spirit, but it actually was Samuel's spirit. God had sent him to give a final warning to Saul. While this is extraordinary, it's not unheard of. We see it in the New Testament too. On the Mount of Transfiguration, our Lord Jesus Christ himself met with the glorified spirits of Moses and Elisha, those who had already passed into glory and yet had come to speak with our Savior Jesus. So what does Samuel say? What happens in the midst of this seance? Let me briefly give you four things that uh, summarize Samuel's final warning to Saul. First of all, he rebuked Saul for disturbing him by bringing him up. God had clearly forbidden magic. He had clearly forbidden this type of attempt. Furthermore, as I've I've described, uh, we have no record of Saul seeking Samuel's counsel while he was living. That was the time of inquiring of Samuel. That was the time of inquiring of the Lord. Now he tries by evil men means to consult with Samuel. And the weight of this rebuke is is as if Samuel said, you shouldn't be talking to me. You should be talking to God right now. You should be repenting of those things that God had confronted you with all throughout my life. You should go to God to plead for mercy. And that's a message for every age, is it not? God is full of mercy and forgiveness. But if you refuse to repent, if you find no room in your heart to repent of your sins, you will be lost forever Here, God sent a messenger from the dead to communicate that. Second, Samuel confirmed God's judgment. A judgment that rejected Saul and raised up another king. He says, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor neighbor David. Try as he might, Saul had not been able to outmaneuver God. That's what Saul had been trying to do, isn't it? God had anointed David. He would be the next king, and Saul understood that. His son David understood that and came along David to align himself with David to love David, to help David. But Saul hated David. And even though it was God's promise and God's purpose to raise up David as the next king, Saul tried to outmaneuver God by killing David. Well, that's a message for every age too, isn't it? You think you can outwit God do you really think you can outwit God? Do you think you can out, outmaneuver him? Do you think that he doesn't see your sins? Do you think that uh, maybe you'll just kind of cruise along unnoticed? You're just a little guy. No one can outmaneuver God. You do not repent. You will be lost forever. Thirdly, Samuel confirmed why this judgment came. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord nor execute his fierce wrath on Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you today. This is a good point to remind you of the seriousness of Saul's sin. I've referenced this already in chapter 15. God had commanded Saul what he was to do with Amalek that this was a judgment upon a wicked evil nation that was to be carried out and Saul had been surrounded by the means of grace he had heard the promises of God he knew the sacrifices of the Lord and when Saul rejected God's command, it would be bad enough for him as an individual believer. But Saul was the king. Saul represented God to the nation, and he represented the Lord God to the surrounding nations as well. This was God's purpose for the king. It's part of his redemptive plan that that there would rise up in the midst of Israel a righteous king who would do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with God. But when Saul departed from the Lord and rejected God's word, Saul was doing that not just as an individual believer, but as the king of Israel. I like the way Gordon Ketty says that that Saul radically denied his calling as the Lord's anointed king. And he put the Lord to open shame and cast a shadow upon the Lord's redemptive program for his people. Well, that's a message for every age too, isn't it? For God has set us as a light to the world. God has said that you are a city on the hill that can't be hid, but you, the church, are a light to the nations around. And when you do not repent, when you do not turn away from rebellious uh, actions, when you do not run to Christ for forgiveness, you are not only doing so as an individual believer. But as a representative of God to the world. Fourthly, Samuel prophesied the coming defeat of Israel, along with Saul's death and the death of his sons in battle. And these are chilling words. Saul was wanting guidance, he was wanting direction for what he was supposed to do, and he went looking apparently selfish for his own deliverance, and found no room for repentance. If you read the chapter again, you don't find that anywhere. And what he got instead of guidance was what was going to happen. Which leads to the last point of my sermon today, which is that this is a message for every age as well. For Saul, as he heard this final warning, rather than repenting, he lost all hope for his life. Saul lost all hope for his life. These words were so devastating to Saul, and terror grips him that he, he, he falls down on the ground. I don't know if that's ever happened to you where, where something somebody jumps out of the dark and startles you and you just fall down. We can kind of laugh at that, but this is terrible. This is horrifying. The, the news that Saul gets is such that he falls down almost like he's dead. It says he, was, he hadn't eaten anything all day, and I, I attribute that to the fact that he, again, the terror was so much on him that he, he couldn't eat that day or that night, and so he's weak. And the witch comes to, to him, and, and she is now scared for her life. Here's the king of Israel, and he's fallen down as if he's dead, and she's worried for herself, and so she's pleading with him, "Eat something! Eat something!" And he says he refuses that at first. He's finally persuaded to sit up and take some food. He does that, and he departs to the battle that would take his take his life. Saul despaired at these terrifying words from Samuel, despaired of his life. And they were terrifying words, are they not? They're terrifying because if you do not repent, you are lost forever. That's a message that ought to make you shudder. If you do not repent, you are lost forever. Not only in this life, but for eternity, you are lost and under the wrath and curse of God forever. And as you hear that, it may cause you as a believer to tremble. You might think, what hope do I have? For I know my own sins and I know the ways in which I have have." cherished these temptations and these practices in my life. What hope is there if God has rejected me? I can't do anything and I'm doomed to die. Like Esau and like those in Hebrews 6, it is impossible for me to be saved. Ah, but brothers and sisters, you are not Saul and you are not Samuel. And I can say that with all gospel hope because you are here today and there is a time for hearing warnings and a time to repent and the time is now. There is still time for you to hear a message like this and to flee from your sins and to take refuge in Jesus Christ. It comes with a warning, though, does it not? Like this warning that is given to Saul, if you do nothing, you will be lost forever. Hebrews is helpful here again when it says, if we sin willfully after we've received the knowledge of the truth, there is no there, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. And where Saul erred is that he failed to repent. He failed to hear this warning and to flee to the one and only way of salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ. But the very fact that you are here today and the very fact that you hear this warning means that there is time to repent. There's time to throw yourself on the mercy of the Lord, for he is compassionate and he is gracious and he is slow to anger and full of mercy, says Psalm 86. And there's time to cry out to the Son of Jesus, Son of God, Jesus Christ, to be a Redeemer, And even though you're hanging on a cross next to him, dying, there is time to repent and time to ask to be received into the kingdom of heaven. And there's time to ask God as David did in Psalm 51, do not take your spirit away from me. Cleanse me from my sins. Fill me with the joy of salvation once more. There is time today. Today, if you hear the Lord's voice, do not harden your hearts. Jesus came to provide salvation for sinners. And if you repent, God will will forgive your sins. He will welcome you into his kingdom. But if you do not, if you do nothing, you'll be lost forever. Let's pray. O oh God, hear us as we cry out to you in our own repentance. I Pray, O oh God, that If you are working on the heart of one today that has never trusted in you, I pray that they would hear that there is forgiveness in Jesus Christ, that there is a way to escape that final judgment, and I pray that they would not despair of their lives. I pray that they would see the way of escape that is provided through Jesus, for he has come to die in our place, to be raised again to life everlasting so that we might be the children of God. Lord, I pray that you would be drawing all those present here today to yourself in salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 32 expresses these ideas very well when it speaks of uh, of the joy that we have when our sins are forgiven and the agony when we do not confess. (laughs) My bones aged in me when I didn't confess, says Psalm 32. I languished in my guilt, silent. But when we do confess our sins, when we do repent, There is forgiveness, and what blessedness belongs to you, to us, when we are forgiven of our sins. With joy and faith, let's sing this psalm, Psalm 32. Please stand to sing.